listeners. This is Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. This is Zach Gandra, and I'm here with the inimitable, cannot be imitated, Steve Gandra. How are you doing, Steve? You've got to come up with a better word than in. I know. I need to come up. I'm going to, next week, my goal on the show is to have a new word to describe you other than cannot be imitated. Yeah, we need something that can we can put on Wikipedia that will be... Uh, prolific and uplifting. Are you basically saying right now that you're famous enough that you should have your own Wikipedia page? No. <laughs> I'm saying that if anybody's out there listening, you know, inimitable is getting a little old. Well, it's fun, though. It's a good way to start <laughs> okay. the show every day. We, right. You know what? Uh, let's hash down a couple of the shows that we've recently had, uh, especially last week was great. We uh, Who was on the show last week? I can't remember. Well, now I Pat can't remember. Ch- Pat, Pat Chestnut, Chestnut that's right. AAOA. AAOA, Pat Chestnut. What an incredible, transparent story yeah. and sharing that he gave leaders. If you want to catch up on that, go to excellentcultures.com, head to our podcast page, or just search for Biz Culture Matters on iTunes, and you'll have the podcast available there, too. So. Yeah, great, great leader who is probably the most knowledgeable human being on the planet in the whole world of how how to not get totally ripped off by the government with your health care plan. Absolutely. And that was that was some some very good shocking material. I, I like most of a lot of America right now is is pretty frustrated with the whole health insurance thing and a pre-existing condition that I've had. I've I had a kidney transplant 5 years ago, so uh it's been it's been an interesting whirlwind of financial deficit for my family just to get insurance over the last year. So I, w- I want. I so want to name the healthcare provider. Well, you I, can't do that. I, mean, I know I can't do Cause, it. Because <laughs> the, the mission of this show is to help the good guys win. Yeah, absolutely. Not to, help to the good, throw dirt not to, on the bad. Not guys. Not to trash <laughs> the bad guys. Well, it was great. Pat Chestnut really, really shared with us too that they're all of the insurance companies are doing the best they can, but stuff changes daily on what the government's rehashing on and. And they're throwing, they're throwing, this is how the way we're going to do it. And then the next day, nope, that's all gone. We're starting over. And so they're having, they're having an interesting time. And then, and then great show the week before with Roy Whitehead, the CEO of Washington Federal. Yeah. You know, phenomenal financial institution that really, you know, good guys. Yeah. They, They refuse to participate in the manipulative debacle of the savings and loans crash and the bad mortgage crash. And got through it unscathed with good values and doing things the right way and serving people and serving their customers and very profitable. And they are dodging all the bullets that the government regulators keep trying to send their way as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a couple of great shows there that you can clue into on excellentcultures.com to live stream. And... uh Search for Biz Culture Matters on on iTunes if you wanna if you're one of those podcaster or subscriber type people. But today, Steve, you need to introduce our guest today because we've got a wonderfully awesome woman leader on uh, on the show today and a great story, an overcomer, a cancer survivor, and uh, yeah, I don't like I, I don't even like to use the term cancer survivor with Doreen because she is more of a cancer overcomer cancer destroyer cancer conqueror yeah cancer conqueror there yeah, you go yeah, she's yeah. a cancer conqueror uh during leckler and i have had the good fortune of working together for what more than a dozen years is that right during that's right yeah. yeah more than a dozen years spent the first 10 years of her uh career life as a great looking model in new york city uh the next 10 years or so in the um health mission outreach field, you know, taking trips into Africa and third world countries for mission outreaches as a missionary. 
and the last dozen or so years working with us in the uh, biz culture arena at Excellent Cultures. Tremendous leader, does wonderful work inside of many corporations from mid-market to Fortune 5. You just got back from Toyota, didn't you, last week or I this did. week? You know, I, yeah, I, I saw, saw your email and I couldn't see any red eyes, so I'm assuming you actually got to sleep before you took the flight back to <laughs> Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, right. Doreen also does some work, great work. She has a faith-based.org organization that you want to uh, visit for sure. Published author, her second book, her first book, The Spirit to Heals, about her experience as a cancer survivor, cancer conqueror from a faith-based perspective. The second one, The Mind to Heal, that was the Amazon inspirational bestseller the day it was released. Isn't that right, uh, Doreen? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So check out the books. Um, uh, check out her website at uh, destinymakers.org, and you definitely want to hear more about her story. If any of our listeners, if you have a friend or a family member who is dealing with a debilitating disease or with cancer in any way, shape, or form, uh, Doreen has a, a website and a work that is not about uh, becoming a cancer survivor. It's about becoming a can- cancer conqueror. And she does that exceptionally well because she's been there and she's done that, as well as is a great leader and a great inspirational force in the marketplace for building high-performance cultures and great, great companies and organizations. So, Doreen, tell our listeners (laughs) about your view of, of who you are, what you do, and your work. Yeah, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you both. I mean, that's quite an introduction. I'm, I'm standing a few inches taller. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're now, you're you know? <laughs> you're in, you're now inimitable. There you go. Yes. <laughs> there you go. That, that'll be a picture of both of us uh, flanking both sides of that definition. Yeah, on Wikipedia, um, the definition <laughs> yeah. of inimitable is Doreen Leckler. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I I'm I say that I have about three different businesses that. One is in the area of doing uh, the corporate culture work, which I just, I love uh, dearly. But, you know, as a result of um, two diagnoses of cancers, the second one um, being staged as stage four incurable metastasized to the bone, and being told by one of the kind of preeminent uh, cancer institutions in the country that I had about a year to live. Yeah, um, but uh, but aren't, excuse me for interrupting, but mm -hmm. every time I hear that uh, stage four incurable, to me... Incurable in Doreen Leckler is an oxymoron. <laughs> right. It's an oxymoron. Doesn't even well, belong it, in the same sentence. In fact, I put quotations around it when I <laughs> when I'm either speaking about it or writing it because um, you know that's a belief that that they want to give you. And you know, think about the diagnoses are really your pathology and then um, the history of what's happened to other people with that same pathology. Right. So yes, I agree. I I put quotations around that because incurable is maybe what had been for other people. But, um, you know, we have that choice when we're confronted with those kinds of diagnoses and that kind of news. You know, doctors want to hand you your future based on the history of other people's uh, experiences, and I just kind of wasn't willing to do that. But well, it's, it's, just, it's just an educated opinion, right? Educated exactly. opinion. It's case studies. Yeah. Yes, case absolutely. But you know, most people don't know that. And, you know, I felt really fortunate when I was diagnosed, this, you know, both times. And first in 2006 with just an early stage one uh, breast cancer. I, you know, we did DNA testing on the tumor. It was determined I didn't even need chemotherapy. I'd have about a 3% benefit if I 
underwent chemotherapy. So obviously, you know, I don't really gamble, but I'm I'm smart enough to know those aren't good enough odds to take chemotherapy if I'm only going to get a 3% benefit of it. So, you know, um, so it was really quite a surprise the second time a year and a half later when I went from a very um, easy, containable, you know, what the doctors called your garden variety breast cancer. Um, how I went from that to a year and a half later having um, uh, cancer that was metastasized already um, was was a shock. But I felt so fortunate because of the kind of work I do and the training um, that um, that I deliver, I was able to take the news that they delivered to me and understand that, just as you said, Zach, it is a case, they are case studies. But see, most people don't do that. Right. You know, they hear what the doctors say and they go, oh, I got it, you know. Right. And they, they accept it as reality. And then subconsciously, they goal set to that. End. So they set, goal, they, they set goals to die according to an educated opinion that happened to be a very educated and professional opinion, but not necessarily the truth. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's really, that's really become... Um, a passion and a message that I, you know, am, am dedicated to. I, I, cancer is my uh, foe, and I will I fight it at every every corner and every turn and every opportunity I can. And and so, you know, um, I oftentimes and I even want to put this out here on your show. You know, I I say to people if if you have somebody who is struggling right now, struggling with the way that they're thinking and their emotions, I'm happy to speak with them. Uh, and I do that all the time. I've talked with people across the country. I've, I even had someone from as far as New Zealand. I don't know how she found me, but, um, you know, contact me. I talk to people all the time, helping them, um, just spending time with them, talking with them, listening to them, praying with them, and I'm really happy to do that. Well, so, listeners, if you have a member of your family, a loved one, a friend, a colleague, an employee, associate, a boss, who's fighting with uh, any form of a debilitating disease, uh, email us. Email us at asktheexperts at excellentcultures.com. We'll make sure your questions get to Doreen, and uh, she'll have an opportunity to connect, respond, coach, and um, you know help your loved ones move in the category, into the category of conqueror instead of survivor. Absolutely. We're going to go into our first break. That was a wonderful first segment. Keep listening. You're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM, and we have Doreen Leckler with us today. We'll be right back. Remember Ross Perot, the Texas millionaire who ran for president in the early 90s? Did you realize that he's built multiple companies that sold for billions? Each of his companies held a strong values-based culture. We interviewed his CFO and COO. His insightful comments on the role of culture in business are posted on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Take a look. You'll gain wonderful insights to building your own excellent cultures on excellentcultures.com. You can also follow us at XLNT Cultures or Facebook slash Excellent Cultures. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. 
After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive, CEO, or business owner, do you find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter their life, to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and your personal life. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures about the right plan for you. And we're back, listeners. You're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. We have Doreen Leckler with us, Cancer Conqueror. Steve has named her Cancer Conqueror and uh, and also Culture Coach, Culture uh, Business Culture Coach. And what was the what did we go into the the uh, Renaissance? All the Renaissance women that Doreen is. Did, did we Not hit yet, all but the we're bases? Getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. there. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're getting I, there. I do want to throw this out for you though, Doreen. Uh, Obviously, not me not dealing with cancer, but being a dialysis patient for for two years and having a friend give me his kidney, and I've been off dialysis and and a kidney transplant recipient for the last five years. I, I I still have to get blood tests every month, and you go in every month and you get the blood draws, and you're like, all right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna believe everything's fine, all my blood levels are good, and the organ's doing its job, and I'm doing my part. But I do love. The fact that you reminded the listeners and brought that up that the doctor's opinions are case studies because my wife and I with my condition had to do the same thing. It's right. like you have to go in going, this is what they see all the time. And they're just going based on the numbers that they see and the data they see right in front of them. We were, which which is amazing because so often we think doctors are so heartless and they're so cold. Um, we were blessed with some great doctors that, that weren't so much that had a great bedside but, manner. But some of them are. But, and they aren't. can be because they just look at data and they just look at numbers. And uh, I love that you did bring in that how, how much you love helping others that are going through this because I'm the same way. And I remember talking to, uh, I, I was at a conference one time and, and heard a friend speak at the conference and he was talking about compassion um, being a verb and an action of helping other people. And my compassion level for people with illness grew so much during that time when, when I was sick. And I asked him, I was like, how do I keep that even though now I'm well? You know, it's so simple. It was like, now I'm well. Now I'm going to go live my life and do my own thing. And one of the interesting things he told me, and he's looked at me, he goes, you'll never lose that compassion as long as you continue to be around hurting people and people are in need and serving them. Mm. And that's yeah. been a very true fact and a very true thing, obviously, in your life as well. Yeah, it sure has, and that was that was a great question. It was great insight of you to even ask that question. But you know, I want to be really candid too. Um, you know, I think overcoming anything, anything, any obstacle, it, it's about knowing um, how to think and knowing what to think. And so, you know, candidly, I am a person of deep faith, and so I was able to, as a result, have another reality to stand on. And so right. it, it was about knowing what to think. Um, it was about um, watching, taking all of my thoughts captive, you know, because, hey, listen, even, 
even, and I thank you for attributing to me a cancer conqueror. I, I, I concur. I use that terminology all the time. I don't like the image of survivor. To me, it's, it speaks to somebody who's under their circumstances, you know, kind of crawling out by their fingernails. And I never saw myself. I, I was always on top of my circumstances, you know. And so I, I, even when I speak places, I say, oh, please don't use that, that word survivor because the imagery that it gives you is just, you know, boy, I barely made it. Right. You know? yeah. But um, so, yeah, taking every thought captive and not going down those dark places because they come. They hit you. By the way, today I went to see my oncologist. It's been a year. I'm going to have to go for my scans. And so you walk into these buildings. We name our buildings even sometimes after the things that we um, are trying to avoid. Right. <laughs> you, can't, you can't help but read it. And, and, you know, it feels heavy. And so speaking... Have, speaking towards the end result that we want and thinking in those ways, it, it takes a, a lot of conscious effort because really well-meaning people will come around you and always kind of look at you like, hey, how are you doing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because yeah. I know it. Not, and then you've yeah. got the multi-level marketing people with the miracle cure that they want to sell you as well that come around. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. so one of the great things that I love about Doreen in the work that she does with so many of our clients at, at Excellent Cultures, when she has her marketplace hat on, is that she's able to take her experience of being a cancer conqueror into the marketplace of corporate culture where, where typically, you know, we're starting to call them, you know, n- we used to call them lousy cultures and excellent cultures. Now we call them naive cultures and excellent cultures because really uh, cultures and businesses, you know, don't go bad because anybody intends for them to go bad. They just kind of little by little slip away and then pretty soon you've got sneaky corporate politics and, you know, and people saying things behind people's back and withholding information and not being upfront about what they think really needs to happen and goals get foggy and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a terrible culture. But Doreen is able to take uh, her life experience of, hey, you can change what you want to change once you know how to change. Uh, into the marketplace with so many of our our corporate clients and just cause huge transformations. Um, Tell us a little bit, Doreen, about, you know, your your vision for this, you know, culture of ethics, values, and employee engagement, maybe even some of the work that you've recently done with our friends at uh, Toyota in L.A. and uh, how you're able to help others get to this mindset and expectation of, wait a minute, you can change what you want to change once you know how, and how you've led them with your experience to some, you know, great, great victories. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, um, one of the things that I have been really speaking to when I go in to organizations, as, 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 you know, as when you first go in, there are the people that brought you in, and then there are people that are sitting in the room that feel like they you know, have to be there. <laughs> so they're they're a little cautious. They're a little skeptical. They're not sure exactly if they're buying in yet to this whole thing. And so as we have uh, get into some of that dialogue about you know does this really work? You know, um, one of my my vision for an ideal culture of of ethics and values and employee engagement. It's one where the the leader and their people intentionalize what I'm calling a spirit driven organization. You probably are saying, like, spirit-driven, you know, what does that mean? Or, by the way, that's not politically correct, Well, right? it's, it's actually sounding a little weird, but I know what you mean, yeah. so why don't you explain it? <laughs> I will, I will. 
so yeah, so stick with me on this for a minute. But so ethics, you know, ethics is really about what's the right thing to do. Now, of course, we could get into a deep philosophical question on all that. You know, why is right right and all that kind of thing. But ethics essentially is, you know, what's the right thing to do. Um, when we talk about values, we're talking about what's meaningful to us. What are the behaviors that we want to live by, or the compass that by which you know we will direct our actions. And when we talk about engagement, employee engagement, you know, we're really asking the question, why am I here and what does it matter? So those things, ethics and values and engagement, they work themselves out cognitively through the mind, the way we think, and they certainly work themselves out physically because you can measure them in terms of their behavior and such. But really, when you think about ethics, values, and engagement, you're really fundamentally, those are spirit-driven. You know, it, they're they're rooted in our spirits. They're not they're not formulated cognitively, because we are in fact body, mind, and spirit. Whether or not we want to talk about it or pay attention to it, and and I speak about this um, equally in my books. And you know, there's people, of course, that we know that don't pay much attention to their bodies. Okay, they don't pay attention to them, and it's readily apparent. But because they don't pay attention to it, doesn't mean that they don't have a body, right? So. The same is true with our spirits. We may we may not um, necessarily develop or pay attention that much to that side of who we are, but it doesn't mean it's not there. So it's the body or the, the, the physical by which we measure our performance. It's our mind that by which we measure our potential or our, our assessment of our potential, what kind of potential we have to deliver the outcomes or uh, goals that we have. And... And it's the spirit by which we define our purpose. Um, so when I'm speaking about a spirit-driven uh, organization, I'm talking about this. a spirit-driven organization is one that um, really focuses on purpose and values and hope and meaning. And, you know, it's what makes us distinctly human and set apart from, you know, all other kinds of life. It's that intrinsic desire for meaning and um to do better and that ability to plan and forecast and leave a legacy, that's distinctly human. Yeah, but, but any athlete, you know, while spirit sounds like a weird word and it sounds esoteric and ethereal and religious and spiritual, any mm-hmm. athlete who's ever participated in, comp- participated in competition, especially, you know, a, a championship-level team, knows what spirit is because it, it comes out in the performance of the team. Yeah. Um, you know, here here in Seattle, we we know what spirit means because we've we've seen the difference in our football team. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. un, under Coach Pete Carroll, who you know I right. both had the opportunity to connect with through a common mentor over over the years, uh, is known for his ability to transform the spirit or the ethos or the the team spirit, the esprit de corps, you know, of a group of young men. Um, into, you know, from mediocrity or good into greatness and high performance, as evidenced by our experience with the San Francisco 49ers uh, last Sunday night where, you know, our Seahawks just devastated, you know, the 49ers. And the 49ers, I think, are still scratching their heads wondering <laughs> what happened. Well, what happened was the, the spirit that Pete Carroll has built, you know, into the Seahawks. Now, does that mean they're going to win the Super Bowl? We hope so. But it certainly means, it definitely means that a team with, with the right spirit and the right ethos and the right values and the right ethics and the right passion 
is going to outperform an equally minded team who doesn't have that kind of spirit. And what I hear you saying is it is it's the same thing in an organization, a team, or even in your body if you're fighting a battle with a debilitating disease. Is that what you're saying? A- absolutely, absolutely. And you know, and you and I know this that from research that you know if you take if you take away purpose and meaning from an individual, they can physically physically die. And even though most people don't physically die, they can die inside. And when you take it out of a culture, your employees die. And one of the ways you know that is you can ask them, you know, what do you do? And they'll tell you their title and their role and their responsibilities as opposed to being connected to this higher sense of purpose. Right. You know? And that's how I, that's how I often hear it. And it's interesting, you know, over the past 13 years that I've been following trends in organizational cultures, each year, whether it's Gallup or Blessing White or any of the other pollsters that, that you know, look at organizational trends, employee engagement continues to be among the top three issues for organizations. And it it's, continues it's, to be lousy, at least in yes. our country, right? Yes. 70% discon- disengage, 18% hate their jobs, most common yeah. reason they hate their boss. You know, and, and we all know now that none of them work for you because your, your employees love their boss. Yeah, you know, it's, I think it's the spirit of an organization that gives rise to its culture. And we see it manifested in the beliefs and habits and attitudes, you know, that express themselves. So if an organization, consciously or subconsciously, if they have a spirit of greed, well, then a culture will develop where numbers are more important than people or you know, they're looking for ways to cut corners or customer service takes a backseat back if it's not cost-effective, that type of thing. Sometimes you go into an organization and you can send, they have a, there's a spirit of arrogance. And if there, if there is, you'll see the culture develops where me being right is more important right. uh, than finding solutions or where risk-taking is. And it's something you can feel when, as soon as you get in. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Anyways, we're we need to hit our we need to hit a break. We're at a break point. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about what is within our control as leaders and culture leaders. Uh, when we get back, you're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. We'll be right back. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders, like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams' managing partner, have world-class ideas. As advocates for creating a strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at ExcellentCultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. Has business taken over your life? 
Are you living to work or working to live? Stress, broken marriages, neglected relationships, and poor health are symptoms of a life out of balance. The right coaching plan can have transformational impact on the quality of your performance at work, depth of relationships at home, and personal sense of well-being. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. Stop struggling to survive. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. We're back, listeners, with Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. We have Doreen Leckler with us today as our guest. Doreen, right at before the break, you were just going into, and you and Steve were in, in, a, in a good conversation about the spirit of a company and, and the heart and the soul of the company and, and what comes out and how when you walk into a company where, where it's led by greed or it's led by these different things, at the, at the soul of it, you can feel it. And I want to throw out as we move forward into the show, um, you started talking about what creates culture, habits, attitudes, beliefs, different things of that nature. And I want to throw out, too, to our listeners that that are listening, that we all understand there are things that are not within our control. Uh, you know, me, me having kidney failure was not within my control. It was a birth defect, something that I was born with. I didn't have control over that. Uh, we, you're, into, you're in a culture and you're in a business and you're doing something. There are certain aspects of that that are not within your, your means of control. But let's talk for a minute uh, and I think you've hinted on it a number of times of the things that are within your control. And one of the things we believe, a couple of the things we believe with, at Excellent Culture is that, that when we go into companies and we're helping them make these, these great changes is we believe there's the, the two things that are within your control are your attitudes and your effort. We can choose what we believe, what we expect, and what we focus on, and that's what creates our attitudes. And then we can uh, also have control over our habits and how we communicate with others, and that uh, begins to exemplify our effort. So although there are a lot of things that are outside of our control, there are things that are within our control that produce and influence outcomes in our lives. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you see that played out all the time. You know, I, I, I want to throw out the fact that, you know, we have the opportunity to work with some really great, great leaders. They know this. They know this very thing that you're stating, Zach, and that's why they bring us in to help, um, you know, put some wheels on it and begin to take traction and, and build some momentum and consensus around their people. And, you know, uh, these, these guys that, I say guys, but I've had a couple of pretty profound experiences in the last couple of weeks with, with two really terrific leaders, one of them from Toyota. I know one of them you've had on the show. And I, I have to tell you, he is a guy who his mantra uh, is really this, and he said it several times, it's all about relationships. And he, he attributes that, he attributes that spirit of it's all about relationships for his dad. And so it was a really interesting experience because I don't think I've been in another organization that, where people are more tenured and yet they really know so little about themselves. And so we did something that I've never done before, in an organization, but we kind of stopped midstream. And what we did is we had each person go around the room and talk about either a significant learning moment or a significant emotional experience at any point in their life that shaped who they are today or how that has impacted, you know, their working environment. 
or how they work with others. And it was really, you could feel the spirit change in the room. I mean, you really could. People really, from that point forward, the, the day and a half that we had left together, it, it completely changed. You could feel it in the room, and people were really more caring, more tender, more respectful. Um, I felt like there was uh, um, humility in the room. And, you know, he shared, he started out, and he shared the fact that he might not excel as much as other uh, individuals in the area of leadership, but he believes that it's all about how we treat one another. And so that's his primary driver, and it's that spirit of relationship that he's using now to build a world-class culture. And, 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 And he's done it. He's done it before, yeah. and is, it's recognized by the engagement polls of his employees, you know, in a Fortune 500 company. Uh, I can't help but remember uh, when you said the you were talking about the spirit of an organization or spirit of a team, and you said that if you have a spirit of greed, you know, it comes out. I can't help remembering, you know, working for a Fortune 5 years ago that uh, the internal folks um, referred to as, well, the beans, B-E-A-N-S, the beans have taken over, not the B-E-I-N-G-S, like extraterrestrials <laughs> or anything, but, <laughs> but the beans meaning those who are numbers, the numbers-oriented people have taken over. You know, the, the accountants are now running the company is what the, you know, many of the execs would tell us. And, you know, I didn't know what they meant until, um, you know, I was talking uh, with our financial officer about, past due accounts receivable and found out that this Fortune 5 was, you know, right at the top of the list. And, uh, you know, eventually, uh, after numerous attempts to collect what they owed us, they paid us, but they actually paid us uh, 5% less than what our invoice was and had the audacity to put on the invoice that uh, they pay, they prepay 5% less because they pay early. Um, and <laughs> they were paying late. Now, needless to say, that organization almost went out of business of Fortune 5 and were subsequently taken over by a new CEO, a new leader who has a totally different spirit, who, you know, thank God has transformed the company, and now they're, you know, no more about a spirit of greed but are about a spirit of service and just excelling in the marketplace. But, you know, we see that happen time and time and time again, uh, what, what, Doreen, in your work, what, what do you see? What are the trouble signs of a bad culture? What should good leaders watch for as trouble signs that are kind of creeping in, unbeknownst to you know a leader who uh, is just not paying attention to it? What should they watch for? Well, you know, I don't know if you said it or maybe I just heard you. You know, heard it in my mind. But when you were describing that last organization, the first word that jumped out was arrogance. And yeah. in, arrogance. You know, what does that look like? Well, when we begin to feel deserving or we begin to feel entitled, when we think that we're okay but others are not, you know, hey, why don't you come in and help my people because they really need it, but they're not including themselves. Uh, Or when we think we're good enough or we have all the answers, you know, there's no room for innovation and creativity and the person already full of all the answers, right? And so, you know, when the numbers become more important than the people or the purpose we serve, you know, then what happens is, and our minds are creative geniuses. People will begin to justify their actions as a means to an end. And so, you know, arrogance stops looking for new ideas and continuous improvement. And 
it pretty much squelches anybody who does. Yes. Yeah, so, so the so in arrogance, the, what is it? Is is it the well, we're we're the best that there is in this industry. Is that where it begins, or does it begin someplace else? Well, that could certainly be part of it. I, I think it begins with the leadership. And, you know, I think it's an interesting balance because certainly we want to build into the mindset of the people. We are the best at what we do. We are a world-class organization. But I think if, unless you have in your value set the value of humility, and you don't see that very much. I don't think, in, in my experience, I don't know about you, I don't think I've ever seen a corporate set of value. values of an organization, right, corporate value that has the word humility. And sadly, I think somehow we turned humility around to be a sign of weakness yeah, rather than strength. Yeah, that is so so accurate. I, I was but I, so accurate. I think humility is a really key point, and you don't find it in a lot of organizations or their value statements or in their leaders. Because I think we don't, I think people have the idea that humility means you're a pushover, you know, people are going to roll you over. But I had a pretty profound experience of this last week. I was asked a few months back if I would come in and be the keynote speaker at an opening of a new cancer center. And this was going to be a country club, or was a country club gala event. It was 160 oncologists and staff and doctors and whatnot. And in this particular county in Maryland, basically you would go all over the county for different services, so imaging or... um, you know, fusion or surgery. And so now they were bringing it all under house, you know, under one roof. And they asked me, this faith and healing gal, to come in and talk to to doctors. I I kept thinking, did you really read my book? But at any rate, (laughs) I, I, I was just dumbfounded. And I, you know, I've spoken in front of many more people, greater numbers of people, but I don't think I was ever as I don't know, stunned. I giggled every time I thought about it. I thought, holy cow, I couldn't orchestrate something like that if I had tried. So, uh, but when I got there, I was greeted by two of their senior vice presidents, and they wanted me to tour the facility, which isn't open yet. It's opening next month. And it's stunning. I mean, it's, it doesn't even look like you're walking into a hospital or a cancer center, which was their point, of course. And there's these beautiful, like, nature design elements in the floors and the walls and the art and gardens. It's just wonderful. And you really could feel this spirit of hope and healing everywhere we toured. And in fact, in all their signage, it's, their, their slogan is hope and healing close to home. But um, more, more than just how beautiful, more than the aesthetics, the people were just so authentically humble. <laughs> they were really kind to the core. And you could see it because every place we'd walk as they ran into someone in the hallway, they, they very genuinely would affirm that individual and introduced me to him an infirmant. It was it, it was amazing. And then in the speeches, there were uh, many of the leaders got up and gave very brief speeches before my keynote. And again, they just the um, the humility and the raw emotions and the gratitude that they were exp- you know expressing for this dream come true and everybody's work. In fact, even the CEO, he got up there and just tears. He was fighting back tears um, over the pride in his people and how meaningful this, here was this dream he now was ready to launch. And he's been their CEO for over 20 years. An extremely capable, charismatic man, but just so humble, and you could see it, and you could feel it. And I believe it was his spirit and his influence of leadership over those many years that created that type of culture, that type of, uh, the, the people that served underneath him, they all had those same 
qualities of caring about people first. So if humility and compassion are not among your corporate values, think about adding them quickly. And do it now, right before the break, (laughs) because we're taking a break. Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. We'll be right back. Remember Ross Perot, the Texas millionaire who ran for president in the early 90s? Did you realize that he's built multiple companies that sold for billions? Each of his companies held a strong values-based culture. We interviewed his CFO and COO. His insightful comments on the role of culture in business are posted on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Take a look. You'll gain wonderful insights to building your own excellent cultures on excellentcultures.com. You can also follow us at XLNT Cultures or Facebook slash Excellent Cultures. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive, CEO, or business owner, do you find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter their life, to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and your personal life. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures about the right plan for you. back biz culture matters on clay 1180 a.m we're talking culture values uh humility was our last conversation i want i want to throw this out it made me think why you guys were uh discussing humility there's a quote by c.s lewis that guy that wrote chronicles of narnia and many other great works that humility is actually uh we 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 under define and don't understand what humility is and c.s lewis was quoting that humility isn't isn't uh, thinking less of yourself, which a lot of people think it's due. Well, if I'm humble, I have to be lowly. And it, it's, not, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's actually thinking of yourself less. Mm-hmm. So as leaders, humility and leadership, that's what leadership is all about, is we're equipping and empowering and releasing other people to be successful. That's what a, that is the definition of humility. Yeah, what a great quote. And, you know, I, I want to make a, a really key point here, particularly for your listeners, because... I, I don't want it to sound as though I'm being soft and mushy. There, there's a bottom line value, right, a bottom line right. for humility and compassion, and and it it goes directly to employee engagement because your people know it and they feel it. And if if it's not a value that you have um, toward your customer, um, it's not going to be one that you have toward one another. And people know that. Yep. They know that, and yep. they can feel that. Well, and a good reminder for leaders, I mean, we have a great, we have a great show that we did a couple months ago called Breaking Down the Digital Divide. And when leaders communicate over email and digitally, you lose the person-to-person element, the compassion and humility that comes with being with other people. You can't lead from your, your office, <laughs> right. like we can't be 
uh, compassionate leaders that are equipping, empowering, and releasing others if we're doing that from from an office or from a cubicle. It just doesn't work. When you spoke of uh, arrogance as kind of the opposite of humility, it, I was reminded of um, last night I was uh, speaking to a group of Uni- University of Washington business students, which is always an exciting experience to watch, you know, the young up-and-coming leaders of the future. And uh, we used, you know, we talked about the subject, and I, I like to use this, especially with college students a lot, that culture sunk the Titanic. And they all scratch their heads and say, no, 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 it was the iceberg who sunk the Titanic, or that that sunk the Titanic, not the who, but it what. And uh, the key operative question behind culture is why. You know, uh, why did the iceberg sink the t- Titanic? We got deeper and deeper. Finally, uh, one brilliant young man raised his hand and says, oh, you know, oh, I get it. It was the arrogant attitude of the captain who believed that the Titanic was invincible and that bulletproof, basically, that caused them to not pay attention to the iceberg that was as close as it was. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was the arrogant culture and the arrogant attitude of that leadership that cost all those people, you know, their lives. And what you're saying is so very, very, very true. So, Durant, you know, and go ahead, the, interestingly, the, the more arrogant you ha- uh, arrogance you have in the leadership, oftentimes what it causes in the associates is fear. And so you had asked about, you know, what it is. Uh, arrogance is one of the things that I've seen that sets in, but the other is fear. And so when you have fear in your culture, then, you know, you're, of course, as you know, we, we don't have that open and honest dialogue in respectful ways because people don't want to or squashed or made to look bad, that type of thing, or become very risk adverse. Yeah, so they don't don't want to make mistakes. They don't want to be squashed, so they become fearful of making mistakes, and the more fearful you are of making mistakes, the more mistakes you make. Mm, Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. So tell us, with with the new Gallup poll, you know, again, no change in two years. Seventy percent of American workers disengage. Uh, New new statistic this year, 18 percent told the confidential poll, not their boss, but the confidential poll, that they hate their jobs, and the most common reason for hating their jobs is they hate their boss. So we've got this new generation of uh, one of our radio guests, Charles Herrick, who is a uh, profound management uh, educator and teacher, called it this new generation of managers from hell that are causing people to, you He's know, also an excellent culture's partner. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah, smart guy. Smart guy, you know, smart guy. Uh, so with this new generation of, of people who hate their boss and managers from hell that are hated— because of what they do, uh, Doreen, what, tell us, what from your work, what connection do you see between this engagement piece of the puzzle and the overall perspective of what's going on in the values and the ethics of the leaders mm-hmm. in the organization? Well, the connection is culture. You know, culture is what drives both the corporate ethics and, and employee engagement. And so, you know, high-performing constructive cultures are cultures where people are satisfied and they're engaged and they act ethically. So when people feel connected, when they feel purposeful, when they feel engaged, then they're contributors to an organization. They're not takers from an organization. You know, they feel enriched by what they can give, not feeling entitled, you know, what can I get? So the, the key to me is culture. When people really feel purposefully and meaningfully engaged, then, you know, inappropriate behaviors 
like stealing time and resources and that kind of thing that you often see, they're, they're not overlooked and they're not ignored because uh, people see it as hurting the whole. You know, you're, you're taking from me, not just the leaders or just the company. So when people feel invested, they're a lot less tolerant of, of unethical behavior. You know, and conversely, in a poor culture, a defensive culture, you know, to the, to the extent that people feel that they're a means to the end, because, you know, they, you know they'll, they'll justify be, their own behaviors, ethical or otherwise. Right. <laughs> so if they feel that they're a means to the ends, they'll, they'll justify their behaviors as a means to the ends. And, you know, you hear it. I hear it like, well, after all, nobody cares or everybody's doing it. So it's not really about stricter rules or, or enforcing more stringent focus on compliance because that just exacerbates the problem and people will push back. It's really about, if, if, you know, building um, the culture. So if leaders are really looking for compliance and higher engagement, then the most effective way to do that is to not only build it but constantly maintain a constructive culture. It doesn't happen by uh, neglect. I mean, it has to happen by intent. So and why, why do they want to do that? Because, it, you know, culture drives behavior, and the behaviors drive the outcomes in the organization. So what does what does constructive culture mean during? Well, high-performing types of organizations that have constructive cultures are where people are, um, you know, we identify several areas of, of constructive behavior, and it's, and it's important that people understand that there are very definable behaviors so that it's not just kind of up to interpretation. So uh, one of the types of characteristics that you'll see in a, a high-performing organization is that people uh, love achievement, and they are, they're the kind, of, the kind of people in those organizations are people that are driven by goals and not only setting goals but achieving goals, so much so that even if you didn't ask them to do it, they'd be doing it themselves. So they're not waiting to be told what to do. They're out there doing it, taking a, a accountability and responsibility. You know, another attribute of a high-performing, constructive culture is one where we love to team together. Um, and it's the, the, the converse of that, in which we see a lot, is going in where, into organizations where there are silos and they don't like to talk to one another. And for, for some reason, if one department or one group succeeds, that we perceive that as failure on our part as opposed to, you know, celebrating the whole. So um, oftentimes when you see, uh, sometimes when you, it's, you get a better picture of what something is by defining what it's not. Right. And so when we come into an organization, a lot of times what we see when there's not that sort of affiliative teamwork going on is you see silos, you see a lack of communication between departments, you see withholding of information, all those kinds of things that are really more common um, than you might think. Um, other types of attributes that are constructive is where people really care about one another. Um, we, we know one another, we want to know one another, it, it, creating... Um, Not just, of, what, what did you do for me in your job description today? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So leaders, if, uh, if you have a crisis in your organization, or how about this, plan a crisis in your organization, 
announce it to your people, and then watch what happens. If, if they run to silos. It's going to happen anyway. Yeah, if they run to their offices, you're in trouble. If they run to huddles to try to solve the crisis, you're doing good. I don't think we have to good. plan crises. You're doing they good. just kind you know, of come You're doing up. good. You know, they absolutely do. Yeah. They absolutely do. So when it does, watch what they're doing. Yeah. Because it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, Doreen, let's let's go back to your uh, your work in destroying and overcoming. Got the, one minute. One minute. Uh, tell us, give give us a quick coaching tip for our listeners on uh, how can they experience some of the great success you've had in just devastating diseases and bad cultures. In a quick coaching tip. Mm. One, um, uh, you've really got to take all parts of you, body, mind, and spirit. It, it, you've got to bring it all together. So you've got to watch what you're eating and what you're doing on a physical level. Mentally, you've got to speak the end result. One of the things I always hear, and I stop people in their tracks, it happened just the other week, I have cancer or my cancer came back, and I say, stop that. Do not use possessive words. That, that, that is just, that stuff has no right to be within you. So don't speak possessively. I would always say, I have been diagnosed with. But when you say, I have or my, it gives your, your mind a mental picture of something that's inhabiting you. And it's very hard. You can't hold two conflicting thoughts at the same time. So you can't, you can't be holding disease um, and trying to heal at the same time. So don't speak possessively um, of, of the disease that's in your body. Don't it's not it. about denying it, but you just right. don't don't give it room to take root. Sure. And 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 uh, speak the end result. Speak about healing. Most people hope and pray one thing, but they dwell on and talk about the other. Absolutely. And so it's really about taking every thought captive. And and for me, I I went to um, the word of God, the Bible. That's something that I hold as truth in my life. And I've started gleaning out all these promises of health and healing, I started writing them down on three-by-five cards, and I kept them in front of me over and over and over again to transform my thinking to create a more dominant idea about my health and healing than what I was seeing on the PET CT scans and what the doctors were telling me. All right. Good advice. Thank you, Doreen. You're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be with you next week.